The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verses 27 through 31. And this is the first life application. We're going to go through this quickly, these 10 verses or so. But it was fitting that Jesus would wear a crown of thorns. So for those who are new, we're walking through the last couple of chapters of Matthew and now on the way to the cross and how they treated him. So beginning in verse 27 of Matthew 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole garrison around him and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And then, these are the soldiers now, the Roman soldiers, doing the execution. They bowed the knee before him, and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they spat on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified." Wow, that's overwhelming. That's, that's a lot. Let me begin by just saying this. Matthew and the other gospel writers, they tell us the historical facts of the Lord's suffering and death. This is the gospels. They're telling about Jesus being crucified, how it fulfilled prophecy. But it took the rest of the New Testament, all of the entire New Testament, to explain the meaning behind the fact that he died for us. Because history tells us Christ died. But the rest of the Bible explains Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. It's not just the fact and what happened and that he was rejected and crucified. He died according to God's plan and had been prophesied well over 300 intricate, detailed prophecies culminating in one life and really culminating in one three-year period in one man, Jesus of Nazareth. And it was with a purpose God sent his son from heaven to the earth to die for our sins, to take away our shame, our guilt, our emptiness, our loneliness, so that he could forgive us and then he could fill us with his spirit. We could be born again, become literally sons and daughters of God. So at the end of the service, you know, every week, it just is too obvious that I'm going to give some of you an opportunity either the first time or maybe to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Because in many ways, God is using and orchestrating the events happening in the world right now because he wanted to get our attention and he wants us to know him and to know his son. Now, the official indictment against Jesus was that he claimed to be, listen, king of the Jews. Now, why that is so big and why that is so important is that it was prophesied. God started with Abraham, 
and then his son Isaac and Isaac to Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. He has 12 sons. They become 12 tribes, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And through them came the Messiah. God said, through you, Abraham. God made a promise to our ancient father, Abraham. By the way, all who believe in Jesus, Jesus came through Abraham. So if you have Jesus in you, you're connected to Abraham. Abraham is our father, both, by the way, Jews and Gentiles. But he was called the king of the Jews because it culminated in Israel. It culminated among the Jewish people, fulfilling the ancient Jewish prophets. Before then, God, through the Jewish people and through the writers of the New Testament, which were mostly all Jews, then went out to Rome to bring the message of salvation and healing and forgiveness to every nation, language, kindred, and tribe. So as we look at this, they first disrobed Jesus. And then, so they stripped him of all his, of his garment. Of his, the only thing that he really owned was that one garment that was, you know, seamless. And then they put on him a soldier's robe. And they're getting ready to mock him. Now, I want you to imagine, we know who Jesus is. Jesus is the anointed one. He's the prince of peace. And they, these soldiers, they did not know who he was. They did not know what they were doing. For them, even when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing. Boy, true words were never spoken. They took an old, used Roman uniform, and they threw that around the arms of Jesus. Now, the Gospel of Matthew here tells us that it was red, you get to the Gospel of Mark, and Mark says it was purple. So then there are people that haven't really maybe looked or seen further and studied, and they go, oh, it's a discrepancy, and so you can't, you know, these are stories, and they don't coincide. But, you know, honestly, and looking at it, the reality, and those who study the Bible and, and the history and all of that, they would say that a reddish-purple is a great description of an old Roman uniform. It was kind of a blend of those because it was old, it was used. They're doing this to humiliate Jesus and to mock him. And then they put together a crown of thorns. He's a king, right? So these are Roman guys who are stationed, who knows where they're from. They're stationed in Judea. They, there they are in Jerusalem. They've been given the task of that capital punishment. Here's this guy for, that they probably know virtually little about. And they're wondering, you know, oh, he's called the king of the Jews. This is their king. Let's, let's play the game. And they literally played a game. Now, I want you to look at that picture for just a moment because this is a king must wear a crown. So they grabbed what, what is a local bush. The thorn bushes of this region have long, sharp, hard thorns. And they took that and they pounded it into his head. So obviously that cut him, pierced him, bloodied the head of Jesus Christ. And then not only the pain searing upon his head, but then the mocking. But I want you to think about this for just a moment. How fitting, how fitting that Jesus who came to die to pay for the sins of mankind would be crowned with a crown of thorns. You say, why? Where does that come from? Going all the way back to the very first couple of chapters of the Bible. 
in Genesis, when Adam sinned against God, and God said, cursed be the earth, now thorns shall it bring forth. One of the very first things that is given in the first couple of paragraphs of the Bible and the story where we were created in the image of God, everything was beautiful, everything was perfect, everything was pristine, and they're in this place called paradise, and they go with a walk with God every evening. In the cool of the evening, God's manifest presence would walk with Adam and Eve. And then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we know the story. They were deceived by the devil. They ended up eating it, and then... God said, don't eat the fruit of that tree. But they were deceived, they ate it, and now would come the curse. And God says, because you didn't listen to my voice, you didn't hear my word, you didn't hearken to my wisdom and counsel, now the ground is cursed. And now thorns it shall bring forth. So thorns are the result of God's curse against men's sin. Therefore, how appropriate that Jesus, the Savior, who came to bear our curse. That's why God sent Jesus. He didn't want us to be under that curse and then separated from our Creator for all of eternity. But God said, I will send my Son in man's place, and He will bear the consequences of their sin. He will die for them, for the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So as excruciating as this is for us to think about and imagine, and as the Gospels tell us, this is our healing, this is our deliverance, how appropriate that the Son of God should wear a crown of thorns. So they brought Jesus. It says here that, verse 27, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. So right near... uh, That area was a place called the Roman Antonio Fortress. It housed over 800 soldiers. So I want you to imagine that by by now, Jesus has been brought in. He is standing in the middle of literally, most of the stories and movies we've seen, there's a few Roman guys around, but it does not give you the accurate picture. There were some 800 of them. They gathered the whole garrison, and they're ready to make a public you know, mocking of this Jew, prophet, king, as they hail him, hail king of the Jews. And then in verse 30, we read that kings hold scepters. Now, usually kings hold beautiful, ornate scepters that symbolize their power. But in mockery, they give him a thin, weak reed. Now, Jesus has already been beaten earlier, So his face is marred, swollen, bruised. His eyes maybe even swollen shut. I don't want want you to look at this scripture. This describes what Jesus endured for you and me. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14. This is the ancient Hebrew prophet. Isaiah talking, and he he saw prophetically into the future the Messiah. So he really was seeing Jesus listen to the accuracy. Just as many were astonished at you. He's talking of the Messiah. So his face or visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Isaiah says, as I'm seeing in the spirit the vision of this 
servant, Messiah, that is going to give his life, his face, what happened to his face, to his visage? I can't even see the humanness of the face. He is so beaten. He said it was shocking and astonishing, and he wanted to turn away from it. And then they take the reed out of his hand, and they started beating him over the head and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. It was meant to humiliate. Think of hundreds of Roman soldiers, not only humiliating Jesus, but publicly, because the Antonio Fortress is right next to the temple, on the Temple Mount, and all of Solomon's porch, so the Roman soldiers are not only humiliating Jesus, King of the Jews, they are humiliating the Jewish nation and the Jewish people forever believing in these prophecies to begin with. So while some were mocking, others were still hitting him in the face and head, the crown of thorns, and then others were spitting. And the Bible tells us Jesus took all of this humiliation and all of this pain without speaking, without fighting back, But I want you to know this, the fact that Jesus took everything that was thrown at him and upon him is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of unbelievable strength. I mean, no man could have acted or reacted as Jesus did during how he was being treated, let alone who he was, who he re- the reality of his true identity. So I want you to know this. Jesus is the strongest man who has ever walked the face of the earth. And he literally, willingly, he, he didn't have to do this. He gave himself for you and me. So again, look with me in verses 31 and 32. Behold your king On the cross. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him. So, look, his back had already been opened with many wounds, with the cat of nine tails. Then later they put a robe on him. You know what happens when you have open wounds? And then you put an old, nasty robe on for a while. Then they beat him some more. And then they take the robe and rip it off. You ever have a scab where you, the scab, the wound is not healed, and then the scab gets ripped off? You're like, oh, you know, we, it's shockingly painful. This was his entire back. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, uh, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. So let's just say this about the cross. Crucifixion is the most painful, shameful way a human being can die. And the Bible says Jesus did not only die, but the Bible says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, he died even the death of the cross, the most horrific way that a human being can die. And then Jesus was led outside of the city to the place of crucifixion. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But it was required as they now had played their little game with him and mocked him and humiliated him in the crown of thorns and beating him with their reed and spitting upon him. Now we've got to make our way outside of the city, 
on the northern side, we believe, and it was required that the prisoner carry his own cross, or at least the cross beam. So they would have the post in the ground ready, but they made the prisoners carry what was called the cross beam. And that cross beam would weigh anywhere from 75 to 125 pounds. Now it appears, it doesn't explain it, but by putting the story together, it appears that Jesus was unable at some point, at first they put that whatever, however heavy it was, on his shoulders, and he started walking toward the place of execution, but along the way, he was not able to continue to carry it. And so he was slowing down the group because there were going to be three men executed at one time in the same place, at the place of execution. So he was slowing them down. They were on a schedule, and they had to get, because they were watching over the Jewish people, a Passover was coming, so this is going to delay things. So in light of that, why was Jesus not able to carry that cross all the way? Well, number one, we know he had been awake all night long. He'd been scourged where his back and even around his front, his belly would have been laid bare. Uh, And he was abused in all these various ways by the soldiers. He was exhausted. He was spent. But Passover was coming and they could not delay. So they found a man of Cyrene named Simon. So he's actually named in the Bible and they compelled him to carry Jesus' cross. Now, who is Simon? He was a visitor to Jerusalem. He was Jewish, and he had come from very far away to celebrate Passover. He was what we would say a a faithful African Jew who had traveled probably around 800 miles to be in the temple area so that he could have a Passover lamb and celebrate Passover, and he just happens to be there, so he's a foreigner, he is a stranger. Simon probably knew little, if anything, about Jesus, having come from so far away, and he probably wanted nothing to do with these three that are being taken to the place of execution, but he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, and with Rome, you didn't have a choice. Hey, you, that guy that has stumbled and his crossbeam, pick it up and start carrying it to the place. And all of a sudden, this guy Simon, who's a foreigner and a stranger, gets chosen, and he's literally now in the story carrying for Jesus, as Jesus probably staggers along next to him, the cross, or the the cross section of the cross. And I just want to say this, that in Mark Mark's gospel, chapter 15, verse 21, it says, then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian from North Africa, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear the cross of Jesus. That's interesting. So you're getting all the facts in the story and, you know, they're naming, yes, Pilate and they've got the religious priests and so forth and all these names. But now they go, well, there was a foreigner, Simon of Cyrene, but then Mark adds, he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. That is in Mark chapter 15, verse 21. If you're taking notes, you want to add one more scripture to it, which really 
completes the story in the testimony. Romans chapter 16, verse 13, at the end of Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul says, hey, by the way, greet Rufus, one of the ones that Mark had mentioned, Simon, who's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Like he's writing, oh, you guys know these guys, right? So Romans 16, 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. We believe, in other words, that Simon, who carried Jesus' cross, became a believer, and his two sons, one of whom is named Rufus, not only became believers, but they became leaders within the early church. How amazing is that? So I want to talk to all of you that are from other lands, from other places, You're a stranger, you're a pilgrim, you're a foreigner. God was always saying to the children of Israel, remember the strangers and the foreigners because you yourselves were once foreigners and strangers and outcasts. And so if you feel like that, you feel like that's somehow your burden, your identity, you can relate to Simon. I want you to know this, God has his eye on you. God is watching you. God wants to include you into the story. He wants to bring you in to Jesus. I mean, what, one of the most famous things Jesus ever said was, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow after me. Now, that's a great truth, a great principle, discipleship, self-denial. <laughs> but we, there was one man who literally carried the cross of Jesus Christ. His name was Simon. And I believe that Simon found out who Jesus was. And can you imagine the the moments, he didn't have a lot of time, but walking next to him, that by the time he got there, heard maybe what Jesus said, the seven last sayings of Christ, that are, it's a sermon all on its own. And he became a believer. And then he told his family and his sons, and they become leaders within the early church. So I want to say to you that are watching that feel outcast in any way. Simon came to Jerusalem to sacrifice his Passover lamb, but instead he met the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and who was sacrificed literally for him in his place. Well, let's go to the next couple of verses, 33 and 34. Here, Golgotha, that's where the place is called. That's the name that it is given. And Golgotha, you've probably heard that. Songs have been written about it and It's a very holy, amazing place. In Latin, it's the word Calvary. So if you know our history, Maranatha Chapel, my roots go to a church and a group of churches called Calvary Chapel. Well, where does, what does Calvary mean? Or where did that come from? It's the Latin name for Golgotha. Golgotha is Calvary. And the word itself means the place of the skull. There is a place on the north part of, uh, this, of the city where you go outside the gates and to the furthest part of the north in Mount, ancient Mount Moriah where there was a, a road, which is partly what they wanted for these uh, you know, prisoners. They, they took them on a march where they were dragging their crossbeam and they're going literally where there are people, merchants, and they're trying to sell things and people are like, oh, you know, shocked and horrified and they literally marched them in front of people kind of like an outdoor mall on the way to the place of execution. 
And, and there was a very designed reason for that. Rome was making a heavy statement. You see these three guys? You see what's happening to them? You mess with us. You mess with the Roman Empire. And this could be you. So it was literally, and even to this day, there's a place that we believe may have been the place where Jesus and these other two were crucified. And there's a hill that is, is quarried some, and it goes all the way back to the days of Jeremiah. And it looks like a skull, literally. You can look it up online. Look up Golgotha and that place. Uh, but that's what it looked like. And that's where the road and everybody coming in and out of Jerusalem would pass by and see this incredible thing. So here we read in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. In other words, if you want to be popular, then Jesus is not for you. If your goal is to have the most people like you and think well of you and everything else, if that's your goal, you're going to miss out on what salvation is really all about. The reality is, as the world, there's a spirit in the world. There's a rebellion in that spirit. There's a demonic spirit and the devil behind all of that that is against Jesus, against the King of kings and Lord of lords. So when you know the truth and you're saved and born again and filled with the spirit, you have to be willing to not go for the popularity of men or, or have people like you, but you live for an audience of one. Lord, I want to make you happy. I want to live for your glory and for your kingdom and in intimacy with you so that there is a real relationship that is unfolding and developing. And so, therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Did you know it was prophesied the Messiah would be sacrificed outside the gate of the city? And then the exhortation of the writer of Hebrews is, therefore, brothers and sisters, let's go forth to Jesus. Even if we put up with some rejection from the world, it's okay. Let us share in bearing his reproach. Jesus said, they hated me, they will hate you also. So as we read these verses uh, 33 and 34, it says that they came to the place called Golgotha, that is the place of the skull. And verse 34, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. It was customary for these people that were being crucified to give them what, what this bitter, sour wine, but it was really a kind of narcotic uh, to help numb the pain. It was just a little bit of help on their way to executing those prisoners. And how interesting, in such an excruciating, I mean, by the way, the word excruciating comes out of the whole word crucifixion. How excruciating that, that Jesus would be, you know, yes, I could have a little something to take a portion of the edge off of this torment but when he tasted what it was, that it could blunt to any degree what he was facing, experiencing, suffering, he said, uh-uh. 
Now, you want to get back to the strength? Jesus literally, when he went to this death, which is the worst kind of death, the most humiliating, the most painful, he experienced the, the height, depth, width, and breadth of suffering, of loneliness, of betrayal, of pain. He, he said, so I want to say this, nobody on planet Earth, no matter where you are, what you've been through, what you're going through even right now, nobody, no human being, not only the seven billion on the planet now, but going all the way back to the very first man, Adam and Eve. Nobody can point their finger and say, you don't know what it's like, fill in the blank. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, the same one who went through this, who rose from the dead on the third day, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, looking down right now, nobody can point the finger and say, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't understand what it's like. Uh Uh-uh. Oh, yes. Not only wherever you've been, whatever you've suffered, whatever you've gone through, far deeper, he, he took it all, and he didn't even blunt any of it. So let's look at the last couple of verses and we'll close. And I want to just say Jesus is the willing sacrificial lamb for our sins. It didn't happen to him. He volunteered for this. And he left heaven to come fulfill it so that you and I could be spared, forgiven, healed, saved, and know his father. So verse 35, then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put up over his head the accusation. They would always write the crime. Why is this guy being executed? So we all are warned not to do what he did. This was the accusation, and this is why he died. Here's the indictment written against him. This is Jesus, Yeshua, the Hebrew name, the King of the Jews. It is important to remember, Jesus did not suffer as a victim of circumstances. He was in charge. He was in control. He said, for this purpose, I have come. He took on suffering. He took on death and he defeated them. He took on the devil, and he overcame him. He rose from the dead. And now, Jesus says, I have all the keys. I have the keys of eternal life. I have the keys of death. I have the keys of hell itself. I hold all the keys. And I want you to look at this scripture in closing, John chapter 10, verse 17. Jesus said, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.